Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Well, welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson, and I'm the Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner at the Bonson Group, and we're excited to have our third edition of Advice and Insights uh, since we kind of started this new podcast property here in 2018, and, and we got something fun in store for you this week. The first uh, ever edition of Advice and Insights, we did Mr. Bonson Goes to Washington. I went down to Washington, D.C., spent a day in meetings, and came back with a, a handful of comments on the political landscape. Then the next year, we did our kind of summary of, of 2017, recapped the year that was, and made a lot of predictions, some of which I think are pretty bold regarding 2018 and how we want to position client portfolios into the new year. And this week, we're going to start off doing something that I tend to do a lot of this year, and that is bringing some other guests in. And and some weeks, it may be an outside money manager. Some weeks, it may be some of our other research or or analyst partners. And, And definitely, a lot of weeks, I want to bring in other people from the team at the Bonson Group. A lot of people don't know because I do so much talking and writing and speaking and panels and, you know, things of that nature that we actually have 16 people on our team. There are two offices and, you know, that 16 includes operational functions. It includes a lot of our client advisor functions and folks that are that are day to day encountering clients. But we also have what we call our solutions and analytics group. And essentially, it's that investment solution side that has to do with anything and everything portfolio related. So behind the scenes, just substantial amount of analytics, running reports that I may call for as chief investment officer on a daily basis. And it includes a significant amount of of research. It includes a significant amount of trading. They're running anything related to the execution of our client portfolio allocations. So it's a really important, I mean, we're an investment company, and this is sort of the heart of our investment division. So it's a big deal. And I'm really happy to have with us right now the managing director of that department, Dea Pernas. Dea, how are you doing, bud? Doing great. I'm uh, just, uh, you know, hanging out, enjoying this weather out here. Uh, we, uh, you know, you're in New York now, so I, I actually looked up the weather and it's uh, surprisingly 41 degrees over there in New York. I was going to poke fun at you a little bit, but but it, it's pretty warm over there. So, yeah, everything everything's going great. Um, so, yeah, so I'm so, excited. So far, yeah. I think it's been about 70, uh, 65 to 70 most days for you in Newport Beach this year. And it's been in the teens, maybe the 20s, most days here in New York. But just so you know, you may have looked and seen on your iPhone or whatever that it's 41 in New York. But though it is so, there's such a wind chill today that it actually oh. feels colder at 41 than it than some days have at 25. It's weird. Oh God! Well, you deal with the cold a lot better than I do. I'm glad I'm not over there right now. But um. But yeah, so uh, so yeah, thanks for handing that off, David. Uh, hopefully, like you said, able to offer listeners maybe a different perspective on uh, on kind of different areas of the business. Those of, that have been listening to David for quite some time will know that our wealth management practice um, th- there's a lot of different silos under it. wealth management is a broad umbrella term 
but there's advanced planning, there's relationship management, there's business development, going out there and talking to prospective clients. There's operations, uh, you know, having to deal with account opening, paperwork, money transfers. I mean, that's a huge part of our business. And then there's also the uh, investment solutions uh, component of the business, which uh, which David, being the chief investment officer, sits on top of all the all the decisions, all the portfolio management decisions, anything that enters the portfolio, exits the portfolio, the buck stops with him. We're there to provide uh, David, and when I say they, I'm talking about uh, me, myself, and then Kenny Molina, who we just hired out, or we just hired on the team. Shout out to Kenny. Uh, but we're there to provide uh, our CIO, David, with a lot of the legwork and a lot of the research that's involved uh, to help him make the best decision possible. And um, I know that maybe a lot of listeners, uh, and and I kind of chuckle a little bit because I... When I talk to friends or family, people that have seen David speak, uh, they tell me about how exciting or, and how decisive and uh, confident David sounds. And maybe I can offer a little insight here because I, um, I kind of see the other side of David. I see the you know the, the decision making process and the indecisive side of David, where he's evaluating uh, information and maybe we're thinking about picking a new uh, you know emerging market manager or whether or not to trim high yield exposure. And it, it's an art in itself, um, kind of being able to provide David with information and then, ha- you know, having him kind of synthesize that information and kind of uh, pair it with uh, forward looking narratives. I mean, David's constantly asking himself, uh, you know, I'm looking at backward looking data and how is the future likely, fundamentally likely to be different than the past? So that way you're able to pair kind of historical data with forward-looking narratives uh, to, to help decision-making. And uh, just to give you an example of some forward-looking narratives, uh, and maybe I'm missing a couple, uh, David's the, the, uh, uh, the expert on this, so uh, I'm sure he might be able to fill, fill us in uh, more. But, uh, you know, lower interest rates in the future. I mean, this environment, interest rates are fundamentally lower than they are in the past. How will that affect asset values? Um, and, you know, corporate tax reform, that's obviously something that's, that's different in the future than it is in the past. And you have to kind of make adjustments to how you're looking at historical data. And for any statisticians out there, it's a very Bayesian way to kind of update your beliefs, you know, based on new information. Um, and uh, so I, I, I find that part really interesting. And then when, when after David synthesizes that indecision to understanding and then that ultimately leads to conviction, and then a decision is made. And then when a decision is made, somebody's got to go from the drawing board and kind of breathe life into that decision and express it over multiple accounts, express those views over multiple accounts and uh, you know a billion dollars in assets. And that's where uh, a lot of the stuff that we do comes in is using technology um, and our capabilities in order to trade these accounts in order to get the best execution um, and in order to, so we scale our business properly well, so, without so Dale, using, let me, let me, yeah, let me yeah, interrupt but so we don't get too ahead of ourselves. And let's back up a bit on, on, on the analysis side, when you're talking about maybe running some historical data and, and we're kind of using it to inform a potential decision we may want to make, give, give the listeners an example of, 
of uh, tools you may use to to create some of that analysis? What are what are some of the things in the toolbox that might help inform the creation of uh, historical analysis? Oh, great question. So so there there we we there's multiple data providers that we use. Our main data provider uh, that we use is, is called FactSet, and FactSet is. Um, is, is a tool that allows us to pull any sort of market data on any asset class in any corner of the globe uh, imaginable. So if we want to do some research on uh, Malaysian equities, uh, that, that's kind of a, an offhand example because that's something we would, uh, we would outsource to a manager who has the uh, expertise in that space. But just to throw some random examples out there, I, I would... Uh, I would use my fact set tool to look at different companies or, or to look at different macro indicators uh, in that economy and es- essentially feed that data into a spreadsheet, uh, clean it, clean it properly. So when I do give it to David, it's not just uh, just a, a random uh, waterfall of, of, of numbers he has to kind of make sense in. Like to ab- we're able to kind of use that data and then provide some sort of illustration that is that is able to kind of help David uh, kind of put together a story uh, in, in general. And, and to give you maybe an example, the, the one of the last things we did was uh, kind of Japanese Japanese equities. And looking at uh, the central bank, how the central bank in Japan is, it, what they're doing to buoy um, equity values and what their, what their central bank balance sheet is doing and looking at the data uh, the month by month data of their of the, that their central bank produces, in order to kind of draw some link between that and what might how the, their equity market be a little bit different now than in the past. So I hope that answers your question, Dave. Yeah, David. no, it That's does. Good. It does. And yeah. in, in, in terms of um, the analysis, like for using the Japan example, or if we went to another country, you're kind of talking about some top down things, and we do a lot there. Uh, evaluating things from from a top down basis, maybe maybe tell listeners um, both sides the the and what the difference is uh, between top down analysis and then what we mean when we talk about bottom up analysis and how a lot of that process uh, works. And I'll I'll chime in a little too. Cool. I think that's a great uh, question for 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 listeners to because that those are terms that are thrown around a lot and. Uh, you know, in my opinion, people who don't even really have a fundamental process around those those kind of terms are, are use those uh, more often than they should. But as far as uh, so, we'll start with top down. So top down, we are multi asset allocators. We invest in fixed income, we invest in equities, we invest in alternatives, and we have to have opinions on different asset classes. And that and a lot of the macro indicators and a lot of the data around, um, let's say what what uh, what spreads are doing or, or uh, what what you know high yield supply is. If, if we see if, if we see you know uh, companies in general uh, that are issuing lots and lots of debt, that that's kind of a, a macro data point that we will be able to use to inform our um, our opinion on the high yield. Uh, asset class, so so that's why ma- that macro data is so important is because it informs our capital market expectations. 
And uh, and as far and, and we do that for every every asset class. And as far on the bottom up side, I mean that's a, that's a whole that's a whole different story, and almost completely separated. Uh, I mean you're going to as a result of a lot of bottom up stuff, you'll see it kind of in top down data. But when we're looking at bottom up data, it's usually in a vacuum. It's usually around a company and a company fundamentals. Like if we're looking at um, uh, just just any random, uh, if we're looking at Apple, for instance. Uh, David is going to want to be. David is going to want to go through that company's balance sheet. He's going to want to go through that company's income statement. He's going to want to want to go through that company's cash flows, and be able to kind of get some sense of does this company fit our idea of a good business? Is this a company that is shareholder friendly? Is this a company that has that is able to generate um, a lot lots of free cash flow? And is this is there a competitive positioning such? that this is likely to be sustained over the long term. And um, it, it's really kind of peeling back the layer to the different companies, how they work, their competitive positioning. Are they shareholder friendly? Do they pay a dividend? Or are they able to grow that dividend over time? And that gives us comp- and that gives us confidence on the bottom up side of things. So yeah, th- there's a huge distinction, but they both play very important pieces in the overall you know, portfolio management. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things our, our, uh, the investment solution side of things uh, helps with is providing that information to David and ultimately uh, helping make that decision. So, so there's um, macro research and kind of a worldview that we have that, that is uh, formulated by a lot of our beliefs and principles and, and that is constantly being informed and updated and challenged by the various third-party research providers we bring in. So we talk a lot about strategic investment research. Uh, we use GavCal heavily. Uh, these are major, um, well-known, and in, some, in the case of GavCal, you know, multi-decade old boutique research providers. So you have a lot of research coming in perspective on things, whether it be interest rates, global growth, uh, monetary cycles, and then, and then on the bottom up side, uh, once a sort of tactical asset allocation uh, is developed, what we think makes the most sense across various client portfolios to, to temper risk and reward. Um, and, and so in some environments, we might want for a given client 60% in equity, and we have to kind of make a decision as to how much of that we want for, in U.S. equity how much you want in, in emerging markets or what have you. And then maybe we might want for that given client uh, 15% in alternatives and 25% in fixed income. Well, in a different environment, we might say, hey, we want to bring our equity exposure down and we want to bring our fixed income up or whatever the case may be. So those allocation decisions get made. How do, 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 does the group then go about executing those changes. And this is where we get into the trading aspect. Um, we, we have tax efficiency to think about. We have trading uh, optimization. Uh, tell, tell maybe a couple examples of things we do that we think are value added in the way we execute upon our agreed upon portfolio once that is determined. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot we do on that side that rarely gets talked about, and probably understanding, understandably so, given that it's uh, it, it's a bit granular, and um, it, you know maybe 
overly de- you know detailed when it comes to uh, certain you know uh, client outcomes and you, you, it's a it, it's it's a behind the scenes thing that doesn't get discussed much. But um, well, just, just to mention uh, to harp on what you said. So yeah, we manage money on an after tax basis. So one of those things like tax loss harvesting, looking across different um, different client accounts with the tools that we use, we use Tamrack for, for all our trading, um, and I, I think for all, um, I think we pay over a hundred grand for all those tools. So there's a significant uh, cost associated with 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 that, but we do uh, think it's the best for for the clients. And um, those those are the tools that we have vetted and we use. But uh, on the tax loss side of things, I think uh, there's that's a huge uh, value add that doesn't get talked about too much. I mean, probably in this environment because things just keep kind of going up and up, and maybe there's not that many opportunities for tax loss harvesting. But uh, understanding that we have the capability to do that, and we are always uh, looking for opportunities to uh, to to you know lock in some realized gains and use or lock in some realized losses and use that to offset realized gains. So that's just one, one component and, and I, of it. And actually, I'll, was, jump, I'll jump yeah. in there because I would even say it's a great example you used. That, as you know, last year, we, we, you, if we just did simplistic work, we could look from the top down across, and, and, and I hate to be nitpicky, it's at a billion-dollar business, but I'll, I'll, I'll give us our props here, <laughs> uh, a $1.25 billion business. We could look across and say, geez, um, there's no – position by position, we have nothing at losses that we can take on. But then when you look in the microscope um, individually, you're able to find certain accounts that maybe because they had purchased it at a different time or they brought in a legacy position or, or any number of different factors, there are exceptions – and we were able to create value for clients that had a particular situation that pre- presented a tax opportunity that was different than the the bulk of our clientele. And if we only looked at the bulk of clientele, which I would suggest is probably what most advisors do, they do kind of a generic top-down look, we would have missed some of those opportunities. So uh, I'm I'm kind of giving you props here because that was something that your usage of technology and your department was able to to mine, and, and I think we've used it effectively. Tell tell me when we you talked about Japan. I'm using this as an example because I happen to know, but you, you know we have dividend oriented ETFs in Japan. They don't trade necessarily a lot. They don't trade zero shares a day or a hundred shares a day. But, you know, when we come in and we're taking, um, you know, tens of millions of dollars of a position, it may be difficult to trade something like that. What do you have to do to get good pricing for our clients when you're trading an initial position like that? Sure. So we and uh, we we do a significant amount of uh, due diligence around Anytime the word ETF is mentioned or we're talking to an ETF provider, uh, think State Street, think BlackRock, think Vanguard, and there's a, there's a million other there's a million other ETF shops out there. I th- actually, I heard a stat the other day. I think there's more ETFs and stocks in the world, if, uh, if that makes any sense at all. But as far as um, talking to uh, an ETF provider, let's say we want to we express our view. Our view is... We are bullish, small cap Japanese equities. 
what's the, the next step in that in that decision making process is what is the best vehicle in order for us to express this view? We want to be diversified, so we don't want to really be going on the local exchange and buying Japanese equities. So we're looking at ETFs or mutual funds. And uh, on on the mutual fund side, okay, maybe there isn't a, exactly a small cap um, Japanese manager, Japanese equities manager out there. Then then what do we do? We we let's look at the ETF side of things. And before we even start looking at the underlying strategy and methodology for the ETF, we have to ask ourselves, can we even trade this thing? Is this, can we put this in any, you know, portfolio, in any of our portfolios with any sort of significant size? And most of the time, I would say 80% of the time, the answer is no. We're not able to trade these things with any, any sort of considerable size. And if we did, it would be, uh, there, there would, it would be catastrophic. Um, to client accounts, if you're if you're trying to trade something that's illiquid, and you're trying to trade in size, it usually doesn't end well. So, so clients having, clients think of of uh, ETF as just an index, and they just hit a button and they get an index. What you're saying is it's actually very complicated because of supply and demand. There may not be shares of that index available to buy, and if you try to buy more shares than someone else is selling. You could get a really bad price and hurt your client. Exactly, and that's something I think that that's that's very overlooked, especially with people out there in their personal accounts. I mean, I have some friends that are like, "Oh, I'm going to buy and jump in. I'm going to jump into this ETF." I'm like, "Oh my god, what are you doing? You're going to take a 10, 15 percent haircut just off the first trade." I mean, it, I mean, you must be thinking of making some real outsized returns to 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 jump into that one. But yeah, the operational side of things is is the first step and it's also the one that eliminates most of the most of the options available like we we look at the bid ask spread the current bid ask spread how deep the market is meaning their market makers a deal in this kind of stuff and they have inventory and how much inventory do they have is it going to be a, are we going to trade through their inventory with a small order um, and now let's take let's take this bid ask spread and look at it historically okay this is it's 5 cents wide that might be doable. Let's see what it's been like over a month because we don't we don't really care what the bid ask spread really is now per se. We care about it all the time. We care about it going forward. We're, we're I mean we're going to be we're going to be trading in and out of this thing, um, you know, a lot as as client flows come in or clients need to liquidate or or we want to increase our position or re- reduce our position, what have you. But so we want to we want full confidence that we're able to trade this thing. Um, to, to to whatever in whatever ways we can, and that's why that that uh, step of the process is so important. And then after that, we look at the methodology, of the ETF, the strategy. Uh, we're always going to be biased to uh, methodologies and strategies that are value oriented, that uh, th- that the kind of tr- you know treat uh, the, like our about our bottom up process of you know uh, shareholder friendliness you know, free cash flows, making sure they haven't cut dividends in a while. If we jump into an equity ETF, we're going to want them, that's that strategy and that methodology to line up pretty well. So I hope that, uh, I hope that gives a clear picture of our process around kind of uh, going from the decision, then looking at the type of vehicle and then how discerning we are in actually making that final decision. So, so we uh, talk about the bottom up research, individual 
um, companies. Uh, we talk about top-down research. I'll share more future podcasts, future talks with you about some of the bottom-up. We haven't said a whole lot about that, and I think um, a lot of listeners will be fascinated to know how much research we bring in and, and digest before making those decisions. But you talked about the the things we're looking to get out of the research to understand management strategy and economic fundamentals, free cash flow in particular, dividend growth. But let me ask you this. When, when you get through the trading value add, the analytics, the reports, the back testing, um, then, then you're still left with those aspects of a client portfolio that we don't manage directly, that we use outside managers. So you might talk about tax-free fixed income, municipal bonds. You might talk about taxable fixed income, where there's either trading advantages, yield curve advantages in terms of how different uh, maturity placements are set to exploit the yield curve, um, and, and particularly alternatives. So I, I, I am just curious, Dave, if you could comment on what our process is like with the asset classes that we outsource the management and where our process may be adding value. Sure, sure. I think that's a I think that's a great question and something that might be a bit confusing for clients um, or uh, people who generally want to know about our business is that we wear the money manager hat. So we're actually picking individual stocks and bonds sometimes or a lot of times. And we also outsource the management sometimes. And when and why do we do those certain things? And as David alluded to, um, there are certain situations where, uh, in certain asset classes, where we can't, uh, where where we can't uh, pick securities, where we can't manage, uh, we don't have the ability ability to, because the structure isn't there. And to give you an example, like if we wanted to buy Malaysian equities, for instance, on the local market, like we we don't have the ability to do that. You need, uh, there's all sorts of, uh, you need, you probably need to have a local presence. You need to have somebody with the infrastructure all set up. Um, so we, that's something where we might feel like, okay, here's an asset class um, or maybe an emerging asset class that I, we think makes sense, but we are unable to transact in that asset class. Let's go find a manager who we don't, who we just don't think has a, an advantage on us w- with respect to their niche, but an advantage on everybody. And that's where our kind of manager selection process is so important. And uh, we, uh, the other asset classes we do this with is also, uh, David mentioned, on the municipal side. Uh, we, we, uh, the, the, uh, the, the manager we use is Alliance Bernstein. We think they're the best on the street. They have a, a particular advantage in, in the sense that they are able to kind of use their size to get best ex- execution for a lot of these different, a lot of these different bonds and uh, employ specific uh, yield curve management techniques in order to uh, in order to do everything they can to kind of generate return. Uh, th- these are advantages they have because of the structure, because of their investment bench that that uh, that other places do not have, and that's and and that's why we kind of outsource. That's where we look to outsource certain management when we kind of we believe in an asset class. But we think there's somebody else out there that is better than anybody else in, in the world at it. And, and, and it's those scenarios where we kind of push over some of that management. So part of the process when we're selecting 
managers that are going to be involved in our portfolio management that we're going to partner with to help create a desired client outcome. And not only to select them, but then the ongoing due diligence and monitoring part of our process that is very unique is that we insist on face-to-face communication with the manager, with those making portfolio decisions, and we'll come to New York, get in front of them, and and at least on an annual basis, um, kind of elevate the due diligence process, sort of institutionalize it, if you will, um, to make sure that the confidence we have in those partners involved in the uh, management and stewardship of our client money is is appropriate and proper. I guess my question um, is, what have, what have you gotten out of those meetings? You've joined me on the trip now for several years. Um, it's become kind of a real regular and, and important part of our routine. Um, maybe share a couple of thoughts on some of the most valuable insights you've taken away, what you've learned in particular meetings, or even just broadly what you've learned about asset allocation and so forth, um, and how maybe that some of that stuff has benefited our clients. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, I think it's one of the, one of the differentiate, one of our differentiators and one I, one of I, what I think is the most value added component to our whole process is going out and meeting with these with these managers and looking them. I mean, it's one thing to read a white paper from a manager that's been vetted by their compliance team and watered down or wh- whatever it is, and you're kind of having to read between the lines because you're trying to, you know, what are they exactly getting at? Why are they being so diplomatic with whatever they're saying in here? And it's another thing to sit across the table with a manager, ask them questions, and kind of get a read from them. And, uh, and you, you, you get a different picture sometimes. I mean, you might even have, and I'm not going to name drop here, but we had a manager, uh, who, uh, and this, this never, I've never seen this happen. I'm, maybe, maybe David has, where a manager literally, um, uh, was negative on their entire asset class. I mean, if, if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. Cause let's say you're a fixed income manager you kind of have a vested interest in the paradigm. You're going to want to talk up fixed income a little bit, you know, or talk up whatever your uh, sector is within fixed income. But for them to be able to tell us that um, while we're sitting across the table for them is, I mean, he would never put that in a white paper. He would never put that, you know, he'd never go on CNBC and say that. So I, I think that it, it's a huge component developing relationships with uh, these managers and being able to kind of get uh, get get to the heart of um, their decision making, I think, has been really important. And in addition, um, just the I think the general you get a different you just get a different view when you talk to people. Um, there's maybe things you haven't thought of. I, I mean, I think we're constantly looking for different sources of information, and if you can put together different sources of information that each have value kind of independently from each other, that, you know, the summation of all those efforts is going to give you a much better decision-making process. So, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, you know, maybe I left something out, David, but you, um, maybe you can go ahead and jump in there. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's one of the parts of my job that I enjoy the most, and uh, it's, it's something we'll continue to do. Well, I, I think that um, that there's so many examples we could both use in different instances over the years. Um, I know for myself, having you join me 
an extra set of eyes and ears. You know, we one of us may hear something a little differently than the other does. We get to debrief at the end of the day and kind of revisit. Did you understand what he was saying the way I did? And and did you conclude this or 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 you know, are you reading between the lines the way I am? You know, there's there's all sorts of different things that can come out of that. And so I think it's a really exhaustive process and 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 really thorough. And then, yeah, you said there's sometimes just those surprises, really interesting nuances that would never be democratized in the distribution of their own um, content. And so we get a chance to kind of, you know, get a better look under the hood and and make better decisions. And I think on an actionable basis, I think some of the best decisions we've made, whether it be in manager selection or manager termination or asset allocation or overweighting, underweighting, some of those best decisions over the years that have been most valuable have, have come out of of some of these meetings, which now have been going on for, for over 10 years. Um, I don't think that we could talk about those New York trips and New York meetings without getting into restaurants a little. So we've enjoyed quite a few great meals with managers, with hedge funds, just the two of us. Tell me your favorite restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to have to go with Del Frisco's. It's hard to beat a good good steak there, right there on Sixth Avenue, looking out over Midtown. That's a it's a pretty special place. A lot of energy in Del Frisco's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's re- really uh, buzzing. I, I mean, I and I'm probably a little biased because I remember, um, you know, the different conversations we've had there, and the the enjoyment of the conversation contributes to that that experience. You know, so um, so yeah, I would have to go with Del Frisco's. Are we doing that again this year? Or are we- Oh yeah, we're doing it again, and uh, I'm. I think I'm doing it in a couple of days, so <laughs> I'll, I'll get a ribeye medium rare, and I'll be thinking of you. Oh, I'm jealous. Um, so, Dan, tell me, tell me uh, how it's benefited your group to have Kenny having joined. We got we brought a new analyst. Seems like a very bright guy, young and and so forth. Uh, it, where's the operational scale? Uh, you know, in terms of having new people, new insights, maybe maybe give a few comments on that. Sure. Um, yeah, Kenny Molina has been he's been a godsend. He's been great. Um, and what we we really look for people who are uh, you know likable, competent, and have an interest for the industry. And I mean, and, he, and uh, he's there in spades. And to be able to kind of sit with somebody like that, um, and he asks a lot of questions. A lot of a lot of good questions, which is important, and to be able to train them um, in general that 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 that's a kind of a definition of scale in itself because you have competent people that that are that are taking stuff off your plate, allowing you to focus on other areas that you might not have had the time previously to kind of uh, maybe do a deep dive in. But to give you kind of his evolution right now, is he's kind of picked up the client reviews. So we do performance, uh, like internal performance reports on kind of how all our different equities and models are doing. And then we have the externally facing, you know, clients come in and we provide them with a client review and that has to be produced by somebody. And that somebody right now is Kenny Molina after, after we, we have, we have trained him and he's completely gone through and revamped, um, revamped and made it a lot better. I mean, I, I looked at the template that I was using the other day. I was like, God, this is terrible comp- compared to what, you know, every, everything he's done. So for him to be able to, uh, to, to take something off your plate and make it better, I think is the very definition of value. And if, uh, you know, he's going to be able to kind of keep doing that. And I think that's how you build a, uh, a great business. 
And, um, you know, I'm excited to see us head there. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very optimistic about, uh, about his career trajectory. And so the uh, way in which you joining the team uh, years ago, uh, even before we left Morgan Stanley and started our own independent uh, outfit, um, the way that your inclusion and, and addition freed up things that I was able to do that became even more value added. Now, Kenny joining into the SNA group that you manage has provided more opportunity for you. One of the things I tasked you with early in the year was creating some value-added reports for me that would help illustrate the benefit of dividend growth that grows over time, the income stream a portfolio is creating, um, e- even if it's not being withdrawn, as these dividends that get kicked off from a client portfolio grow what that looks like uh, over over a time period, because year over year, it may not be very statistically meaningful to client, but we you went back and kind of recreated this a little bit, uh, going back almost two decades, slightly less than 20 years, um, to the point at which I began managing money. Uh, tell me a little bit, tell, tell us uh, a little bit about that. Uh, project, what it kind of revealed, how you went about doing it, and 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 the application that is so relevant to what we're doing on behalf of clients. Sure, sure. So, so as part of our management, as you know, as listeners know by now, we're kind of dividend focused. We like to put an emphasis on what's internally happening in the portfolio. Sure, the principles bouncing around, but what is what, what about the cash that's being internally generated in your portfolio through dividends? Like, is that growing? It is. The answer is yes. So, you know, you kind of kind of focus on that and you take a lot of the anxiety around, uh, you, you know, volatility and the bouncing of principle. And uh, up until now, we haven't had a really an illustration to show clients that. And one of the reasons why is um, is that kind of data is hard. Not only is it hard to find, but then it's hard to compare. It's hard to superimpose against the S&P. And we had to use a different tool for it. Uh, we use a tool called Morningstar Direct uh, that has a you know a ton of kind of data mining capabilities, and then translating that into different presentations. Uh, so I didn't have the bandwidth to use that tool at all. Um, so David and I had looked at it previously, and you know, it cost a good amount of money. But we said, hey, you know, I don't really have the bandwidth, so let's put it aside for now until we get a new hire. So you know, enter Kenny Molina, and now. Uh, we have somebody who's excited, who's ready to go full throttle and learn as much as they can about something and with a little bit of direction. And uh, now we're fully, fully utilizing this tool that we never even had before. And we're able to provide clients with exactly that, uh, a clear picture uh, on what's internally happening in their portfolio. So they can, so, so they can uh, kind of take focus off of what, you know, clients generally tend to focus on, which is the price and uh, allow them to uh, to modify their behavior and allow us to be kind of uh, better relationship managers. So uh, yeah, so that's one of the ways that we we that that's one of the ways that uh, kind of hiring hiring somebody great on and them contributing and adding value. And uh, and I I think I think it's exciting. Have you have you been able to show that to clients yet uh, or uh, in meetings? Uh, yeah, I don't think that I've okay. had a meeting yet where I didn't show it since since you, okay. since cool. we've kind of gone to our final our final sort of presentable version of it. And, and, you know, it really is um, a a fascinating tool and very useful. I mean, I always thought that just the mere fact that going through the 2008 financial crisis 
and and having the market drop as severely as it did, um, but having the dividend income uh, a portfolio so oriented was kicking off, not have to be compromised, even in a period where there was a lot of dividend cuts going on. And there was obviously a lot of recessionary um, overtone that we still were able to maintain that income side. I think it provides that security. Um, but then people want to know how much am I giving up offensively? You know, sure, I get a little bit more risk-friendly deal during during a bad market. But um, apart from those extreme crashes of a market, you know, what's my give up? And to see that, in fact, the income of portfolios creating is compounded at such a dramatically higher rate than the market itself has performed, I think, I think it, it shows people look, we don't want to say there's any such thing as free lunch in investing, but to the extent that one is actually getting a lower volatility experience in bad markets uh, with dividend growth investing and is seeing their income itself compounded at a better rate than, than the underlying market, that's that sounds almost as uh, as good as it, it can get. So that's what that, uh, that, that deliverable, I think, has helped sort of illustrate. Well, um, we're going to be doing this again, Dale. We're going to have a lot more to talk about. Cool, we'll cool. unpack some things even even more more specifically, but maybe give a closing comment here to the listeners, something about the chief investment officer of the Bonson Group that they'd be surprised to know, and it can't be anything complimentary or flattering or anything. They all know I signed your paycheck, but let me, you know, whatever, something uh, that even could be embarrassing. What would, <laughs> what would people want to know about me that they don't know? All right, okay. Um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm glad you're asking me this, David. So, uh, David, uh, you may not know it. You may not know it looking at him with the three piece, three piece suit and all. But you used to uh, listen to Tupac back in the day. So back you, in the day, be, that I, to be that doesn't stop. That's not a past event. That's still going on right now, buddy. Well, there you go. They're a gangster rap fan. West Coast, you know this. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true, and uh, and I think you I'm were sure kind of shocked to surprising. find that out. You were shocked to find out yourself, right? I was. I was. Yes. So there, there, there you go. I'm sure that's a good one. Well, listen, if if uh, if one can obsess on on compound annual growth rates and and global macro asset allocation the way we do, and still fit in a little a little Tupac, uh, then 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 I say let let us let it rip. It it all yeah. works. Yep, Dan, thanks thanks for joining uh, Advice and Insights, and we definitely will do this again. It was fun having you. And to the, the rest of you out there, uh, please you know, give us your comment. Give us your feedback. Write reviews. Um, we want to we boost that up. It kind of helps with the whole algorithm of what we're trying to do with iTunes and Google Play and so forth. So uh, we want feedback, and we want to improve what we're doing to make it as valuable for you as possible. Thanks for listening to Advice and Advice and Insights podcast, and and please uh, make sure you listen to Dividend Cafe every week as well. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. 
The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.